Hey, I'm Natasha Crane. And I'm Elisa Childers. Welcome to Unshaken Faith, where we equip you to live your Christian faith boldly in a chaotic culture. In 1990s, Josh Harris released a best-selling book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye that took the evangelical church by storm. Harris's book was a huge part of what is sometimes today called the evangelical purity culture of the 1990s and early 2000s that emphasized abstaining from sex until marriage, while often employing a lot of unfortunate fear and shaming tactics along the way. Well, fast forward to 2018. Josh Harris disavowed the book and apologized for the harm he says he caused with his writings. And then a year later, he announced he was leaving Christianity completely and ending his marriage to his wife, Shannon. Well, that's where our episode today picks up. Shannon is now speaking out about her own deconstruction and about the harm she says she suffered while living as a Christian wife in a complementarian church environment. Today, Elisa and I want to talk about some of her claims and her understanding of complementarian theology that she believes is so harmful. But first, let's hit our announcements of the week and some tips that we've got. Well, we're so excited. In just two days, we are heading to Tucson, actually three days now. On Saturday, we will be at uh, Tucson Calvary Chapel for the Unshaken Conference. We're so excited. It'll be Natasha, myself, and our friend Frank Turek. Uh, Tickets are still available. You can go to unshakenconference.com to register for that. And also, don't forget, we're coming to Nashville on November 4th. So you can get tickets for all of that at unshakenconference.com. So my tip for today is to pray for everyone you criticize. This is something I try to practice in my own life. Of course, with the type of ministry that I have, I'm constantly warning the church about things like progressive Christianity. And oftentimes that means naming people who promote those ideas. And I just try to always to keep my own heart soft, I try to always make sure I am praying for the people whose ideas I'm criticizing online. And so we're living in a culture where all of us are having to really discern through some really tricky stuff. And so my advice for today is always be praying for the people that you might disagree with, or who you might be criticizing, or who you might be having an argument with, or some sort of a debate with, because that's what will keep our hearts soft toward them and will remind us that these are people made in the image of God and ultimately we want to win them over. That's such a good tip. And if you hear that tip and you think, well, I don't want to pray for that person or that would be really hard to do. I think that kind of is a good indicator that maybe we're in a bad place because I was immediately thinking of some people when you said that. And it was, Mm. that's convicting to me too, to think, you know, I should want to pray for, for these people that maybe I'm not necessarily agreeing with. Well, my tip this week is for conversations with skeptics who condemn God in the Old Testament for quote unquote murdering so many people. This one is just top of mind because I've seen this particular claim a lot lately for some reason. So I just want to give a quick two-point response that you can use if you see it. First, murder is not morally wrong if there's no moral lawgiver. So if God doesn't exist, there's no higher than human moral authority and therefore no objective morality. Right and wrong are just a matter of opinion if that's the case, and murder isn't a moral problem to begin with. Second, There's a distinction between murder, the unjustified taking of innocent human life, and killing, which is any taking of life. Most people recognize that killing in self-defense, for example, is not considered murder. Some would say that killing in the context of a just war isn't murder and so on. So not all killing is murder. For God to murder people would mean he was unjustified in taking their lives. So when God commands the killing of people in the Bible, 
It's clearly because of judgment that he, as the all-knowing and perfectly just God of the universe, had the knowledge, nature, and right to make. In that case, he would be justified in taking life, and that's not murder. Yeah, that's so good because that distinction between killing and murder is important because I think it's in the New King or the King James version of the Bible that says thou shalt not kill, but actually the translation really should be murder because that's it, that has to do with intent and different things. So that's really good. Um, okay. So the reason Shannon Harris is in the news right now is that she just released a memoir a couple of weeks ago and the memoir is called The Woman They Wanted. Shattering the Illusion of the Good Christian Wife. Now, Natasha and I aren't doing this podcast to respond to her whole book, but instead we're just looking at some basic claims she made in a publicity interview for the Roy's Report. And a lot of people are talking about this. Natasha, I don't know about you, but I've gotten several texts from friends saying, hey, are you guys going to respond to this? Because they needed help thinking it through. So we especially want to spend some time on Shannon's response to the interview question, What kind of harmful theology did you encounter at church? Because it betrays a fundamental misunderstanding of complementarian theology that is unfortunately just way too common today. And so this episode, we're not going to try to solve the debate between complementarianism and egalitarianism, but we just want to understand these views correctly because, of course, there are faithful Christians who disagree on this topic. But here's how she starts her response. She said, quote, my church and their brand of churches interpreted the creation story very literally. God created Adam and then Eve. Women are second. God created Eve from Adam's rib, so she's not her own person. She's been made from a piece of Adam. God gives Eve the job of Adam's helper. She didn't have her own purpose. And then Eve is curious. She listens to the serpent, and she trusts herself, and she becomes wise, and that's seen as bad. She gets punished for her wisdom, end quote. Now, there's a lot in what she is saying here. In fact, this actually goes back to feminist Bible interpretations that go all the way back to the very beginning of first wave feminism with a lady named uh, Elizabeth Cady Stanton. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name correctly, but she wrote what's called the woman's Bible. And she interpreted the Adam and Eve story similarly to what um, Shannon Harris is saying here. And as we'll see, there's, there's several misunderstandings in this. And the first thing that popped out to me, Natasha, when I read this quote is that she, she says, because a woman is made from a piece of of Adam, um, she's not her own person. But the, in the story, Adam is made from dirt. <laughs> so, um, you know, if you want to play that game, really, Eve is actually made from something better than Adam was, if you're just going to look at it from that perspective. But of course, Eve being created second doesn't mean she's less valuable. And it doesn't mean that she's not her own person. In fact, the Bible is absolutely unique among all of the ancient works of literature in saying that male and female are made and created in God's image. If you read some of the ancient Near Eastern literature and some of their creation myths, you see that very often humans were created as a slave race for the gods. They were, they were, they didn't have value. They were basically just slaves. And yet you have the Hebrew Bible saying humans are made not only in God's image, but specifically male and female. And then of course, with her being Adam's helper, Um, that word helper that's translated into English as helper is a word that is God actually uses to describe himself several times all throughout scripture. So this is not something that has less value. It's not something that means she's not her own person. So there's a lot of misunderstandings, I think, even just to start with in in the story. But um, what what did you think about it, Natasha? 
Yeah, I was going to say something really similar, but I would I'd add to that that it's funny that, you know, when she says that she doesn't have her own purpose because she's made from this piece of atom. Well, if you cut a square out of a piece of fabric and then you make something with that square, it's still a whole creation. It's something that's complete and, and it's new, but it would be Adam using that logic who has something missing, right? Something was taken from point, Adam. Yeah. So, you know, if she's using these material origins and how things came about, like you said, you know, Adam's from dirt, like the, the logic just doesn't follow there. So it's, uh, there are a lot of problems here. And as we're going to see in the next part of what she says, when you start with some problematic theology and you start extrapolating that further, then you just get deeper and deeper into the problem. So the next part of what she says is, this theology puts a man in a higher place in the hierarchy, and it's a male operating system. It's run so men can succeed. So when I walked into my church, I learned my wisdom was faulty. My emotions and feelings are not to be trusted, and they're not really true, end quote. Yeah. Well, it's clear from this quote and the one that Elisa discussed that she doesn't understand the difference between roles and value. So when she says that, quote, this theology puts a man in a higher place in the hierarchy, she's thinking of a value hierarchy, that men are literally worth more than women because of this order of creation. And sadly, I think this is what a lot of women think of when they think of what the Bible teaches about men and women, rather than recognizing that men and women could have differing roles without having differing value. They think that the Bible is promoting some kind of unjust patriarchal system where men are controlling an unfair, disproportionate share of social power. So you see that sentiment come out where she says, it's run so men can succeed. This is just a very secular view. It's coming from the lens of today's secular social justice theories, really, that mm. if there is a perceived or actual social power differential it's oppressive. So group differences today are seen as inherently wrong. And she's taking that understanding and then importing that into her reading of scripture and saying, okay, there are group differences here, men and women. So now I'm going to interpret those general differences in terms of keeping one group men in power and the other group women down. But that's mm -hmm. not that's not what's going on here at all. Just as you said, you know, God is referred to as a helper in the same way in scripture that Eve is referred to as a helper. Psalm 115 is an example of that. So it's not supposed to be something that is oppressive or subservient even. It is coming along as an ideal partner for someone. Yeah. And then when she says yeah. that she learned her wisdom is faulty and that she shouldn't trust her emotions and feelings, this is a little tricky because there's both truth and error there. We should not follow our heart, as we've talked about a lot, mm -hmm. meaning the whims of our feelings, because we do have a sinful nature and we are inclined to go our own way rather than God's way. And that's just a fact about reality. It's God that determines what is true, not our feelings. But that said, not all of our feelings are wrong. God is the one who gave us those feelings and they can often point us to truth. So we're not saying that feelings are always bad. We just have to always calibrate those feelings against what God has already told us. And her idea that a woman's wisdom is faulty due to Eve just ignores the entire rest of the Bible, where people are expected to know the difference between good and evil, right and wrong, and have godly wisdom as an outflow of knowing God. So I think all of that just speaks to how she has this confused theological extrapolation that happens because there are so many underlying problems in how she understood those first verses of Genesis that you were speaking to, Elisa. 
Yeah, and this is very similar to what I commented on last week regarding the Barbie movie. If we have these, as women, these kind of instincts that are fallen or, or emotions that might be broken or sinful in some way, in, in the Barbie movie, they, they say that's because there's a patriarchy. And there's a very similar thread here where it's like my emotions and feelings can't be trusted because males have this higher place in the hierarchy. But honestly, even men can't trust their emotions and feelings either. All of us are have this fallen nature that needs to be brought into line with Scripture we need to repent and trust in Jesus and be transformed and sanctified as we go along. So um, yeah, there's a little bit of truth in here, but this is so similar to so much of the self-help theology we see coming out from people like Glennon Doyle and Untamed. And I've got podcasts on that uh, on that book in particular that also has the exact same interpretation mm-hmm. of uh, Adam and Eve. Uh, Glennon Doyle goes into almost the same thing where she describes what the Christian view is. And you're going, no, that's not the Christian view. That's not what we're saying at all. Uh, But she's got another quote here. She says, on top of that, you have women being shamed for their bodies or their sexualities, constantly having to cover up to avoid tempting a man. All of these things together can damage a woman's attunement to her body. What makes it so dangerous is that her alarms or her alarm systems can be silenced or dismissed. And this is kind of another thread we're seeing in culture of uh, a, a narrative and a conversation is that, you know, if we, if we are to tell women that modesty is important or that we shouldn't, you know, uh, flaunt our bodies, then somehow at the same time, what we're saying is that we are responsible for the behavior of men. And that is absolutely not true. Biblically speaking, um, a man is held to, uh, a high standard as far as, you know, we are all actually called to the same standard. In fact, in the Roman Empire, um, men weren't expected to be faithful to their wives, but but the wives were. And then along comes Paul and he says, no, actually, men, you also have to be faithful to your wives. This is the Christian sexual ethic. And so everybody's responsible for themselves. And so when we're saying to women, it's it's good to be modest, we're not saying so that you can, you know, be responsible for the behavior and thoughts of a man, but, but because that's for your own you know, for, for who you are in Christ and for your own sanctification. And also, I don't think it's wrong to say we don't want to tempt our brothers in Christ as much as we can. I mean, it, you can get ridiculous with it. Uh, I remember being in Zoe Girl way back in the day and my pants were a little too tight and we got this, you know, we'd get notes back on the bus where people are like, you're causing everybody to stumble. And I'm like, well, you know what? I'm kind of broken. I can't afford a new pair of pants and all, there's all this pizza on the bus. And, you know, so, I mean, I think that we can get kind of crazy with it, but, uh, um, but ultimately speaking, I think we all want to honor God with our bodies. But yeah, that, that would be a terrible message to send if we're telling little girls like, hey, if your skirt's a little too high, then you, you're going to be responsible for your brother's sin. And that certainly isn't true. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. That's well said. And I think, too, there's this movement toward uh, today toward telling anyone that if you put any limits on sexuality whatsoever, that you're shaming people for how they yeah. feel, you know, because if you can't do exactly what you want to do, then you're causing people to feel bad about themselves, right? Whatever it is, whether it is same-sex attraction or it's uh, it's premarital attraction, whatever it is, there, there's just this idea that you are causing shame upon people if you tell them that there are any limits to sexuality. And so, of course, from a biblical perspective, it's not it's not about shaming people. It's about God given design and for our good, for our purpose. Those are good things. And so 
some of this is just, it's not just about understanding the Bible accurately, but it's also understanding how to respond to that in, in a way that makes sense given the entire story of scripture. Um, because yes, there are limits on sexuality. Yes, the Bible does say that, but here's why. And here, here's why that would be according to God and understanding that. So there are kind of two different problems going on here, I think. Well, that's the end of her response to that question about harmful theology, but I want to respond to her concluding comments in the interview as well. The interviewer asked her, what do you hope your readers take away with them? And part of what Shannon says in response is this, quote, the female experience and the experience of people who have been hurt by churches needs to be heard. I think the expectations of complementarian churches especially inflicts a slow-burning trauma that comes with unique and devastating consequences to women. The men who make theology need to study the impact of their theology, mm. end quote. Now, I don't claim to know all that Shannon encountered in her church settings, and it's entirely possible that she was hurt by problematic interpretations of the Bible. But since it does seem that she thinks different roles for men and women are inherently problematic or even traumatic, I want to respond to that specifically in closing here. How we feel in response to truth does not determine what is true. I feel like we've said that a lot on this podcast, but we do have to keep coming back to it. If we feel traumatized by the idea of hell, for example, that has no bearing on whether hell is real. Mm. So claiming trauma from biblical teachings does not necessarily mean those teachings are false. I think that a lot of people today are claiming trauma in response to what the Bible teaches as though those feelings mean those teachings couldn't possibly be true. It's sort of the mic drop, right? Like, oh, I've been traumatized by this. Therefore, it is bad. It is problematic. It is false. But again, how we feel in response to truth, whether we claim trauma level feelings or not, has nothing to do with whether something is true. And finally, this line, quote, the men who make theology need to study the impact of their theology. Well, this assumes that the Bible is simply a man-made book. So when she says the men who make theology, that sounds like men just made this up, right? We're just pulling it mm -hmm. out whatever we want to believe. As Christians, we believe that it's God's inspired word, fully true and authoritative. If that's the case, then how what it teaches hits us, how it quote unquote impacts us, as she says, is really beside the point. The Bible teaches us the truth about who God is, what he's done, who we are, what's required of us, where we're going, and much more. Studying the impact of the theology that the Bible teaches is never going to be a guide to what is accurate theology because people's feelings don't determine what is true. Hmm. I've been thinking a lot about this word trauma because we're seeing it pop up more and more, and it seems like the definition of what trauma actually is is getting more and more broad and more and more watered down and kind of fuzzy and uh, blurry. And maybe we can do an episode on, on that because people claim trauma for things uh, that are, you know, you would think, well, I don't know if I'd use the word trauma, but then there's very real trauma. I just, I've been, something I've been thinking about lately because that, that word seems to be getting applied to a whole lot of things. So maybe we'll do that sometime soon. But thanks so much for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe to the Natasha Crane podcast and the Elisa Childers podcast. For long form episodes, we go deeper into topics like these. But for now, let's remember that as Christians, we have a firm foundation to stand on. That, as Psalm 62 puts it, is our rock and salvation, our fortress where we will never be shaken.